Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. Hello everyone, Sam here. Just a quick apology, this was supposed to be a full and proper episode of IC News, but unfortunately I've been dealing with a family emergency this week and that's just had to take priority. What you are getting though is the one sketch I did manage to put together earlier in the week and some things you won't have heard before unless you are already signed up to our Patreon. Those lovely people get a bonus sketch every month that's meant to be just for them, but this week I'm stealing them back. Because just like Boris Johnson when it comes to funding social care, I have nothing but some shitty sleight of hand to offer you. We'll hopefully be back properly next week, but until then, please enjoy this stream of context-free nonsense. Thanks, Sam. It's been a shocking two weeks for men all over the world. The upsetting events in Texas have left many of our cherished boys traumatized and upset, and uncertain of their place in the natural order of society. What had previously felt like the careful and long-established balance of power between genders has been tipped. Up ending our unspoken social contract, leaving men feeling powerless and disrespected. You might think that this controversy and the riot of debate that it's provoked is about abortion. You're wrong. It's about men. And how yet again women are just straight up refusing to hear them out. It hurts their feelings, girls, and it has to stop. Feminism has done so much for all of us. It gave us the vote better working rights, better division of domestic labor at home, and a conviction rate for sexual assault that sometimes heads towards a whole 1%. But we have to draw the line somewhere. Or where will it end? I'll tell you where. A world where women control men. Women who don't even understand the basic biology of how a man's precious, fragile little body works will suddenly be making laws that control and oppress them. I don't want to live in a world like that, which is why right now we need to empathize and listen to men. Without that dialogue, we will never understand why restricting abortion rights is so important to them. I mean, just imagine being a man right now, seeing how angry women are about these new laws in the States, all of that anger from so many potential cum dumpsters, just because you wanted to force them to carry a baby to term. Imagine being a man like Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas. Imagine being ridiculed by women everywhere just for holding a press conference defending your new law and accidentally revealing that you don't even understand how the time frames for pregnancy and the menstrual cycle even work. All of that anger and finger-pointing when you were just trying to help women and serve your God. Then imagine being told that God has no place in a woman's individual health care decisions. <laughs> 
even though you're a Christian and thought that meant that you have the right to force your religion on every woman in America. Imagine the discomfort of hearing women squawk at you, telling you that the country you serve was actually founded on the fundamental principle of the separation of church and state. It would be awful. Ladies, we have to stop insulting these poor men by suggesting that they don't have our best interest at heart. When men say life is sacred and legislate accordingly, we should give them the benefit of the doubt and assume they mean it. We shouldn't contradict them by pointing out that they built their entire political platforms around treating children from every conceivable minority with cruelty— we shouldn't flood their abortion whistleblower helpline with crank calls and fake cases. We should make use of it to help them demonstrate just how precious they believe every pregnancy really is. That's why I've come here. This is Earth Foxtrot Lima Jr., 1994. And here, the new abortion laws in Texas are nowhere near as controversial among women. Here, medical science has advanced to the point that embryos can be implanted in any willing host and carried to term by anyone who considers all life to be sacred. Men like Todd here, a 63-year-old white dude who's reported his neighbor's teenage daughter to the abortion tip line. Whoa, my head. Where, where am I? Don't worry, Todd. You're in a state-of-the-art, properly funded Planned Parenthood, where every would-be parent gets treated with the compassion and care they deserve. You indicated that you wanted to save the life of an unborn child, despite that unborn child being none of your fucking business. And despite it being no more than a tiny cluster of cells, no bigger than a single grain of rice. What are you talking about? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm pro-life, but... <laughs> No, Todd. No, you're not. What you are is anti-choice, which is why it's so noble of you to take responsibility for the pregnancy of that young girl that you don't know a damn thing about. The hell do you mean? I am paying for some whore of a single mother's brat? Oh, yes, you are, Todd. It's in the small print of the online form you submitted. But we're not just talking about the financial responsibility here, buddy. The embryo has been transplanted into your abdominal cavity, meaning that in just nine months, you'll be passing a healthy baby boy or girl out of the hole in your penis. I can't tell you which one yet because it's six weeks. It literally isn't a fucking baby. What? No. This is inhumane. It's, it's evil. It goes against everything I know about my own bodily autonomy, my fundamental right to make decisions about my own health care. That's what pro-life means, buddy. It's just such a miracle. I'll keep my fingers crossed for twins for you. But just to warn you, sometimes during the birth itself, that whole thing needs to be cut wide open, right up to your asshole. They'll have to stitch your dick back together and leave it looking like a child's shitty finger puppet. Why is this happening to me? Because this is what happens when absolute monsters make decisions for you, dumbass. I'm... Allison June Smith, and fuck this Handmaid's Tale bullshit, reporting for IC News. Love. It's a tricky concept, isn't it? 
the human brain, even now in this age of great scientific revelation, is in many ways still an absolute mystery to us. What is it that causes us to form such deep and meaningful interpersonal connections? Is love simply a flash of hormones and chemical signals? A chemical reaction that sparks our neurons into life? Are we merely slaves to the whims of our biological imperatives? Or is love something deeper and more spiritual? Why is our rational mind, that evolutionary pinnacle in the development of our humble simian species, so easily overridden by our more animalistic tendencies? In this very special report, I'm going to be casting a naturalist's eye over human behaviour to see if I can make sense of any of it. Here on Earth Prime, in many species, there is a recurring theme when it comes to mating. It falls on the males to put on a display in order to impress and attract a mate. This could come in many forms, perhaps from a masculine show of strength, with the males pummeling their competitors into submission. We see this everywhere in the animal kingdom, from hippopotami to the towering elk, to kicking out time at the local pub. That's all our first, you fucking weapon! I'll fight you for it, you snag! Actually, I think I'm probably just going to go home. Elsewhere in the animal kingdom, it may fall on the male to display his commitment to his potential mate in other ways, with an elaborate courtship dance, redolent with flashes of colourful plumage, like we see in so many birds of paradise or perhaps with the careful building of an attractive display, behaviour that we see in the white-spotted pufferfish, who draws elaborate geometric circles in the sand. I'm an artist, the pufferfish says, hoping to attract a mate with a more stable income and a credit rating that will actually succeed on a mortgage application. Time and time again, this pattern repeats itself in the animal kingdom. If sheer power is a species' most desirable trait, it is the biggest and strongest male that wins the heart of the female. Elsewhere, particularly among prey species, it could be the most creative, or the most committed, or the most devoted. It is only when we turn our attention to humans that the logic of this behaviour, the product of millions of years of evolution, begins to unravel. Perhaps it is a burden of our ability to rationalise that we so often completely fail to. Make a machine too complex after all, and without proper safeguards, the likelihood of a loose connection causing the whole thing to misfire increases exponentially. Alternatively, build a metaphor too sprawling and too convoluted, and it falls apart under the loosest scrutiny if you don't quickly move on to the next sentence, allowing the listener no room to actually comprehend your pompous waffle. It is remarkably easy to forget, with our lofty ideas and our own superiority, that man is an animal just like any other, and sometimes animals are just fucking stupid. While a confused ibex may stumble into a crevasse, a human, for example, might completely fail to protect the vulnerable population of a nation's care homes at the height of a pandemic. The difference is that the ibex, having made its fatal mistake, will break a leg and either starve to death or find itself preyed upon by a lynx. Whereas for a human, 
cosseted in a prime ministerial embrace that seems to shield the incompetent far better than the incompetent can shield the elderly, something remarkable and very different happens. Far from being rejected as an abject failure, one that walks like a buggered marionette and pretends to cry on national television, one that his own boss calls fucking hopeless, one that is universally despised by the very sector he leads and represents, the human does not do the dignified thing. It does not simply die in the crevasse of its own making, its face eaten off by the hungry links of public scrutiny. Instead, something remarkable and utterly baffling happens. Unlike the beautiful geometric circles of the white-spotted puffer, the Hancock's protective ring is an embarrassing pile of shite. The Vegas look can tell even the most untrained eye that he's barely spent five minutes working on it. It's fucking rubbish, and decorated not with rocks, but by the corpses of tens of thousands of completely unnecessary deaths. And yet for some women, women who are already married to millionaires with children of their own, this amateurish display of total uselessness is enough to give them the raging horn. It's all very confusing stuff, made all the more bizarre by the way the pair then embrace awkwardly on camera, despite said camera being positioned about five foot away from their heads and in plain view. Clearly, the Hancock's sexually powerful incompetence extends all the way to the mating ritual itself, and at this point I'd really rather stop thinking about it. In fact, I feel a bit sick. I'm David Schattenbugger, and humans really are the most confusing of all the animals. Reporting for IC News. Downing Street. It's a secure, peaceful cul-de-sac in the heart of the city of Westminster, which is itself nestled gently in the center of London's heaving bosom. It houses British society's best and brightest, insulating them from the worst of London's criminality and debauchery, or at least, that is what its residents used to believe. The homes of Downing Street, themselves beautiful monuments to classic Georgian architecture, sit safely nestled behind wrought iron gates. It's a charming, welcoming place to raise a young family, even if you yourself are a 50-year-old man, with the body shape of a burst mattress. Downing Street even boasts the most significant police presence anywhere in Greater London. Only a fool would assume the residents here would be anything but safe. But sometimes, fools are the wisest of all of us. Because crime did, in fact, happen here. Crime isn't a picky mistress. She twirls her slender fingers around any shaft she can get her hands on. It doesn't matter whether you're a vagrant with a meth problem or one of society's high flyers. If crime can get a good grip of you, she'll milk you until you bleed. And that is exactly what happened even here in the gated community of Westminster's Downing Street, in the spring of 2021. 
Actually, that doesn't sound so bad. Tell me more about this crime lady. Is she blonde? Boris Johnson is just your average British man. One of the people. An everyman, with an everyday job. He used to have a paper round, and now he works as an unpaid lobbyist for the National Undertaker's Union. A generous, community-spirited traditional English gentleman, he does all this while working part-time in local government. He's a decent, honest, hard-working sort of guy, which is why when crime struck at his family home, at first, he didn't even notice. As you can see, the perpetrator came in through the front door, and there's no sign of forced entry. That's what really stumps us at first. That's normally a sign that the victim and the perp know each other. It's a fucking conundrum, I'm telling you, but I've got me best men on it. DCI Danny Sutcliffe has recently transferred to the London Metropolitan Police from Manchester. He's an expert in home invasion burglaries. From something as simple as a doormat covered in broken glass, he can calculate everything about a crime scene, from the motive down to the method. But this case? This case was something very different. 22 years I've been doing this, and never... Not once, in all my time on the force, have I seen a perp who breaks in and redecorates like this. <sighs> I mean, look at it. It's fucking sick. For Mr. Johnson and his young, pregnant fiancé, the idea that a burglar could enter their home without them even realising was a terrifying prospect. Oh, yes. Jolly scary, all of it. You you just don't, don't expect something like this to happen, particularly when you definitely don't know who it was and definitely don't owe them a favour and it definitely isn't breaking the rules on donations or anything tricky and uh, silly like that. But it wasn't just the expensive wallpaper, the new appliances and the luxury furniture. The real criminality was yet to come, when Mr. Johnson and his fiancée found themselves footing the bill for all the damage. It's tens of thousands of pounds correcting something like this. I've seen the breakdown of the bill. Thirteen grand to repair a coffee table, and it doesn't even look broken to me. Twenty-seven grand to hoover a fireplace rug. I'm just a simple cop, me. I don't question London prices. They're beyond me. If it were me, I'd rip out all this perverse designer shit and start again. But Mr. Johnson, he's something else. He's just going to live with it. Well, look, um, it's here now, isn't it? So I'll, I'll just, um, um, I'll pay for it now. And I suppose if we have to, I mean, Carrie quite likes it. So I guess we'll keep it. But I'll pay. I'll definitely pay. Just don't uh, uh, look too hard at my finances, will you? Uh, that's victim shaming. And we're the ready victims here. For DCI Sutcliffe, the real fear is that this single, bizarre crime is just a taste of what's yet to come. He is seriously worried that it may mark the start of a far larger pattern, the first tentative steps on a marathon of horrifying criminality. If the Johnsons aren't safe, then let me tell you, pal, no one is. Just think about it. You could be tucked up in bed tonight thinking you're safe, and then bam! You wake up in the morning and head downstairs only to find out your wall's been knocked through and you've got a brand new open plan kitchen and breakfast bar. And you'll have to pay for it just to stop yourself looking like a fucking thief at work.
The shocking events at Downing Street in spring 2021 remain, for now, a thankfully isolated incident. But who knows if, and when, the redecorator will strike again. I'm Kevin Overly Dramatic Robot Voice, and you've been listening to my true crime podcast. Stay afraid. Oh, and don't forget to like and subscribe. Today is the day, everyone. Later on tonight, it's the gripping finale to the show that's had the country hooked over the last few weeks. With over 13 million viewers for last week's episode, will we finally get the answers we're desperate for? What have the OCG, that's overly corrupt government to you and me, been up to? And who is H? With an exclusive sneak peek at the season finale, this is Line of Ministerial Duty. This is it, Steve. This is the John Lewis paper trail we've been looking for. We can nail them to the wall with this. What's our next move? You don't nail wallpaper, Kate. You use paste, and it's hard work. My back hurts. Steve, I wasn't speaking literally. Are you on drugs? Yes, but the workplace testing program's remarkably lax. You can get around it by just pretending their emails have gone into your spam inbox. I think we can probably thank Michael Gove for that. But what about the OCGs, Steve? It's the whole government, Kate. And they're OTT, throwing cash to their mates like it's confetti. Anyone with a company that's LTD, even if they've only been EST in the last few months, the waste is obscene. Spending money on DVDs and KFC, ETC. I don't think it's pronounced like that, Steve. It's an acronym, Kate. How else would you pronounce it? And what about the chiz? Why are you saying chairs in a South African accent, Steve? I don't know, Kate. All I know is we need to find the chatty rat, BRB. TTFN, Steve. I'm Senior Government Inspector Hastings. Also present in the room is my female boss who everybody hates just because she's professional and competent. Uh, What the fuck is that? Stop the tape. Look, son, it's just an audio tone that we have to play before commencing an interview. It's a way of ensuring the official record isn't edited or manipulated. But why is it so fucking loud? Nobody knows, Mr. Sutcliffe, but you have to let it finish, and the entire audience have to sit through all of it every time we do one of these. It just makes it look like we've done our research, you know? Adds a little authenticity. Shall we try again? It's really long, isn't it? Mother of God, if you talk over it, we just have to do it all again. But why? Because it's texture, son. Also, it adds a convenient eight seconds in the edit. It really is far too long. Let's just start with the basics, shall we? Mr. Sutcliffe, you're a painter and decorator who was recently commissioned to provide his services as part of a refurbishment at 11 Downing Street. Is that correct? 
No comment. Oh, here we go. Mr. Sutcliffe, we want to know who originally paid for your services. No comment. Sweet Mother Mary, Joseph, the baby Jesus, the wee donkey, and the three wise men, son, you're not doing yourself any favors here. No comment. Ma'am, this is a waste of our time. We have to find the fourth man. But I thought you wanted the name of the first person who paid for the renovation. Tell us, ma'am. Who was it? Are they based in Spain? I don't know. Are the Cayman Islands in Spain? Now we're sucking diesel. Put down the pen. I can't, Kate. You don't understand. Then why don't you explain it to me? On camera, for once. That's not how this works, Kate. It's never been how it works. Put it down, Steve. Come on, mate. What's happened to you? I don't know, Kate. I was hired to investigate, but now it turns out that the Prime Minister decides whether or not he's done anything wrong in the first place. So I may as well just take this blank cheque he handed me and fill it out. What about the checks and balances, Steve? What about them, Kate? I've got a broken back. I'm in agony every day. If I don't take this money now, they're just going to declare me fit for work. Don't do it, Steve. Kate! Steve! Kate! Steve! Kate! Steve! Kate! Steve! I don't know about you, but I, for one, cannot wait. Because my overprivileged upbringing has left me completely incapable of tolerating delay. That's Line of Ministerial Duty, tonight at 9pm. Coming up next, it's Cash in the Attic, featuring anybody who's ever had the Prime Minister's phone number. Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind odd bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar. <laughs> <laughs> 